Well, we are returning to our study in Deuteronomy and picking up uh, with the ninth commandment. We're almost through the commandments. And then really we'll have about a, a month. We'll end at the end of May in our study of Deuteronomy. So thank you for your endurance. Uh, it's, a, it, it's, been a, it's been a good thing, but it's also, I know, been weighty and hard at points. Um, but we're into the ninth commandment, which is given for us in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Is often reworded by us, you know, if you were rattling off one of the Ten Commandments in your mind, if you've ever done that, you might say, uh, it's the one about not lying, or it's the one about truth-telling. Um, uh, um, but here, specifically, it says uh, not to bear false witness against your neighbor. And we'll, we'll examine this uh, law by looking at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, verses 16 to 19. And we'll just touch on uh, this other passage, which is Deuteronomy 23, uh, verses 21 to 23. Um, And the the first one deals directly, very directly, uh, with the legal consequences of perjury in a uh, courtroom and the effects it has. Um, The second one deals with oath-making, sort of our truth-telling before God, if you will, the promises that we make uh, with God as our witness. Uh, sort of flipping the coin there, right? The, instead of us being the witness, God himself being the witness. We'll look just briefly um, at that. But let's read God's word. Uh, it's found for you in your bulletins, or you can follow along in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 19 and Deuteronomy 23. Uh, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office, who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, Then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Chapter 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that it is true. uh, And that you sent your son, the truth, to come and bear witness to it. And Lord, we ask that uh, your spirit would indeed confirm in our hearts the reality of this command, the truthfulness of it, and the goodness of it, and the conviction of your spirit, and that we might Uh, see and cling to Jesus, the one who sets us free. Lord, we need your help in understanding these things. So, Lord, help us to be truth tellers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There is nothing 
more challenging and destructive to a friendship, to a community, to a, a government, to a society, as is the loss of trust, right? Um, trust is easily lost. It's easily broken. Um, and it is painstakingly rebuilt, if at all. Uh, it is something to be gained only over time and energy. Trust is hard to build, easily lost. Um, and considering how easily trust breaks down in society, I, I find it a marvel that we actually have any society at all that functions or a community that, that we're able in some way to function. When, when I look at how destructive these things are, I, I, uh, lies and, and uh, bearing false witness is within the context of various communities, I wonder how we manage. Um, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I now hardly ever answer my phone if I don't recognize the number. Maybe you're in the same boat. Well, um, it seems that the voice on the other end of the line is always attempting to deceive me. Maybe you've experienced this. Uh, just recently, Verizon called me. It was a Verizon phone number, so I picked it up. And, you know, it said Verizon on it. I picked it up, and the person talking to me was a Verizon representative. And they said to me, uh, we need to, we're, we're updating some uh, things on your plan, and we need some information. You know, and that's, how, that's always a moment where you're just like, I don't know what kind of information do you want. Well, they just wanted, uh, um, uh, they just wanted my zip code and they were going to send a text with a verification code. Do you know what I mean? You get those and then you have to give the verification code. So I gave them the verification code. It all sounded very plausible. They texted me. This text was from Verizon and, uh, and they gave this code and I gave it back to them and I gave them my zip code. Um, it felt pretty uh, safe. But then all of a sudden, a fraud alert on my same phone from Verizon came, right? So now I'm just getting this fraud alert um, that somebody uh, had attacked my account and had purchased something through my account. I don't even know how they did that. Well, now I'm in a bind. Which is true and which is false? What is, what's going on here? Because when this fraud alert came, it said, enter this this, these digits, these numbers for verification. And I'm thinking, I just did that. What, what's going on? That complete breakdown of trust. So I had to go and, of course, call them. And even then, I'm like, am I actually talking to a Verizon representative? Sure enough, uh, somebody had spoofed, uh, is the term I think used, uh, the Verizon number. And it got my account information. Thankfully, they were able to fix it. I didn't have to pay anything, but... Um, I'm sure you have your own stories. When trust breaks down, it, it, it is destructive. Lies destroy. So it's no wonder that scripture calls the devil who? He has a name. He has a lot of names. But one of them is the father of lies. Right? And he is. He's the granddaddy of all the liars that ever existed. He lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. They listened to that first lie. In fact, they became complicit in it. They agreed with the liar and said, you're right. God just wants stuff and I want stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go against God. Romans 1 puts it this way. It says that they, and by they, he, he means all humanity. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. It's the foundational moment. Satan bore false witness against God and we bought it. And we agreed and so we turned from God. And not only from God, but we turned also from one another, haven't we? Immediately follows Adam and Eve against the other. And this is what I want us to dwell on this morning. What does it mean to bear false witness against our neighbor? And what hope do we have of being set free from the bondage of that sin? And maybe you think, well, I don't don't bear false witness against my neighbor. We'll, We'll get there. But, but what, what's the answer? Well, the answer, of course, is always the same. In some level, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the answer. Um, but specifically, the answer is given to us by Jesus himself when he says these words in the Gospel of John. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Not the lies, those lies of Satan and the lies, all the lies that have built up over the years and generations. Those lies weigh us down and put us in bondage. But the truth of Christ will set you free. But first we have to see the kind of bondage we're in. and We'll, 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 we'll look at this uh, first thing, the bondage, um, the bondage of bearing false witness. And then secondly, the truth that sets us free. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time in the bondage because I think there's a lot to be said there. And I, and I actually won't even touch on this commandment as I delved into it. The, 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 the tentacles of this commandment go out in a lot of different directions. Um, we could talk about the margins of truth-telling, you know, the places where are, that are gray, and we say, well, is it, is it okay if the Nazis come knocking on my door and I have somebody hidden? I'm like, yes, that's fine, right? <laughs> like the, there's, we could talk about those sort of areas where um, we might not speak the truth. And, and Scripture has examples of this, right? Rahab is commended for her faith in hiding Joshua and Caleb. We're not going there. I've, I've said as much as I'm going to say. I want to think more specifically about what does it mean not to bear false witness against our neighbor. And and to do that, the first thing I want to look at is this second text. And we're just going to briefly look at this, um, this thing about oath keeping. They're they're somewhat tied together, but I want to think about what it means that God would bear witness to the truth that we speak or don't. Because what is an oath? An oath is something we do. It's a formal uh, declaration before God and these witnesses sort of thing that happens at places like wedding ceremonies. Or even as we bring in members into uh, membership, they make an oath or a vow before God as the witness to these things. And it's interesting that the text says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, don't delay in, in doing it. Do it. Why? Why? Because he'll require it of you. He's, he's the witness who said, you said this. You are accountable to it before me. I am the, the judge and the witness in this case. Um, but it, uh, 
when we don't keep our oaths or our vows that we've committed to, we must remember that God never lies and that he's a truthful witness. And so his witness will be against us. Will be against us. What does this mean for us? What does it mean? It means that we ought not to enter into oaths and vows lightly. It means that we ought not to just go willy-nilly saying, oh yeah, as God is my witness, I promise I'll be there by 10 a.m. When in f- life happens, you're really going to commit to that thing that is not a big deal. And you're going to say, oh, I am guarantee I'll be there before. As God is my witness, I will make it on time. And you have a history of not making it on time. We don't enter into these things lightly. doesn't mean we never enter into it. I think there are times where we do take that weightiness of making a promise before God. And say, before God and these witnesses, I promise to love you and to, to care for you, to cherish you, to lay my life down for you as your husband. I promise to do that till death do us part. Weighty. God's going to say, says, right, I'm going to hold you to this. It also means that when we take these oaths and vows, because God is the witness and the judge, and because we're taking them, these weighty things on us, do them. Ananias and Sapphira promised to give everything they had to the church. Right? We looked at the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, we, we're, we're to your disciples, Lord. We're going to give everything we have. Did they have to make that vow? Could they have said, oh, I'll give 10%. Maybe I only have 2%, Lord. Uh, I don't have anything. Even if they had done that, that, it would have been better. But they said, no, I'm going to give everything I have. And then they're like, eh, maybe not everything. Keep back a portion. How did that go for Ananias and Sapphira? They were struck dead. Why? Because they didn't give everything they had? Well, not exactly, but because they had promised by oath to do this thing. They had lied to the Holy Spirit. That's what the text says. Jesus in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount says, don't, don't take oaths. I mean, it's being a bit hyperbolic because, of course, oaths are, are permitted in Scripture. In fact, people take oaths all the time in Scripture. But he's saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You see, part of the problem for the Pharisees was they would swear by all sorts of things. I'm going to swear by, uh, you know, you know, we do it too, culturally. I'm going to swear on my mother's grave. When you're a kid, what do you do? What's this? It's a pinky promise. Make a pinky promise. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. One important illustration, I think, of vow-taking that we do take is our membership vows. When we make these vows, they're not simply, it would be nice to do these things as long as I feel like it. But they're promises that we make before God. The second vow, I don't know if, you, if you're a member of uh, the, this church or the PCA church in general, you've made this vow at some point, but you've probably 
loss. You know, you, you remember saying it at some point. But the, sec, the, the third vow goes like this. I, I said second vow. The third vow uh, goes like this. I now resolve and promise. Of all the vows you make as a member, there's I, I, I believe, you know, there's I promise. And then right in the middle, the third vow says, I resolve and promise. It's a strong commitment that says that I will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. But wedged in there says, I now resolve and promise by the grace of the Holy Spirit that I will endeavor to live as becomes the Father of Christ. And I just want to highlight this little thing because when we make that vow, what we're saying is we're setting off on this journey of being a Christian, of following Jesus as Lord, to walk in His way, to obey His law, and to do all those things. And we know that it's a long, arduous task. It's a, it's a, it's a well, an endeavor, right? And if you're like me, You find yourself on this journey of the Christian life and you constantly see yourself failing to uphold that vow. At least I do. I fail daily to follow Jesus. I I fail in my love of God and love of one another on a daily basis. And where do we find our hope and strength? It's in that little in between that section that says, by the grace of God. Of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want us to remember as we think about what it means to keep our vows before God. Is to remember this. Yes, there are weighty things that you need to keep. And even in our brokenness, we have one who keeps his vow to us despite us. The Lord Jesus vowed before his father to come and lay down his life for broken vow breakers like you and me. What a glorious hope. We'll come back to that hope at the end. But I just want to lay that out, that first sort of stuff about the fact that we have this witness who stands in witness and judgment over us that says, you're going to keep this thing that you've said you're going to do. And then when we don't, he enters in and says, I will keep it. I will be faithful. I will be truthful. I will keep my vow and I will lay down my life for you. What a glorious hope. We'll come back to it. But now I want us to dwell a little bit more in the bondage of false, uh, bearing false witness. So we, even when we break our vows, that's one aspect of uh, our breaking of this, uh, of, of this law. But there's, what does it mean when we say to bear false witness, particularly against our neighbor? That's how the, that's how the law is framed. Um, I, th- I think uh, just... Just in terms of, of, as I move through this, I'm going to try to use examples. And I, and I try to be general enough that I'm not, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I say that just because sometimes you hit, I hit a nail on the head and I don't mean to. Uh, they're usually just taken out of my own mind in life. So I just any examples that I come to just realize that. Um, and, and secondly, I'm not, there's so much I could say about this. Um, but I, I want us to now spend a bit of time thinking about what it means to bear false witness. I think that this sin is so pervasive, so completely pervasive, 
That it affects everything we do in life. It affects every relationship we have. It particularly affects sort of the broader relationships that we have with, say, online and things like that. We'll touch on those in a little bit. But um, it is so pervasive. And I just want to look at it. I just kind of want to look at some of how this is so pervasive. Our text highlights a very specific legal context. It is the question of perjury. In a court of justice, if a false witness comes forward to accuse someone and they are found to be false witnesses, they are to be given the same punishment for the same crime for which they accused the person. It's pretty radical. In other words, uh, and it goes on and says to purge the evil from their midst. And then it reiterates this law of uh, called lex talionis, this law of retribution that is the, the, the fitted thing. So if, if uh, somebody commits murder and, and their life is required of them. So it is for the one who says, this person's a murderer who is in fact innocent. They require the same punishment that the person who was to have committed murder supposedly would have received. Um, In other words, the lie is as heinous as whatever crime, be it murder or any other terrible act, because the lie, if it is believed does what? Destroys that innocent person. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of how many lives of people have been accused over the years by a false witness? How many people have literally gone to jail or have been sentenced to death because of false witnesses? Just in our country. It's overwhelming to think about, those, and I know the statistics are out there. It is, uh, it is an overwhelming thing. Joseph, who ran from Potiphar's wife in the book of Genesis, was arrested and accused and thrown into prison in a foreign country as a slave with no rights and no recourse. One witness who is false, his life is ruined but for the Lord who is using it all to bring about his glory, of course, in in the story of Joseph. Not many of us, I think, have had to deal directly with this context. Um, Though if you read the news, it seems that the question of perjury swirls around every political person um, ever. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels that way as we listen to the news. And, you know, are they telling the truth? Honestly, how hard would it be to judge that? can't even imagine. And we might be tempted to think that bearing false witness, therefore, is something that doesn't really apply to us. Maybe it applies to those who have to go to court and those who are in places of prominence who have to make oaths and vows before people. Maybe, um, Maybe it applies to them, but not really in my regular life. I just don't think that's the case. I think the command goes well beyond the specifics of court cases. It goes to our dealings with people publicly, in our workplace, in our homes. We can even bear false witness against ourselves. I would even say bearing false witness in regular life has risen to the level of an art form. What do you mean, Rob? I may need to prove that statement. 
What is it? What do we mean? Okay, so we have to define what this false witness against our neighbor is. Commentators throughout history break the commandments down into two parts, negative and positive. Our catechism says it this way. Um, what is prohibited uh, in the command and what is required of the command. And I, I'll touch on mostly what's prohibited, but I may touch on some of the things that are, that are required of us. And uh, there's a lot there. So let's look at first the stuff that's prohibited in this command. What are we not to do? First, it is extremely uh, important to note that the command is not general. It doesn't just say don't lie, but rather it puts it in the context of relationships. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Our lying, our truth-telling always affects persons more than ourselves, just ourselves. It's, It's about relationships. It's about our relationship with one another. So with that in mind, here's a list of some examples. First, outright lies about someone. We say these lies when we want to get back at someone. Or we want to bring them down a notch. Or we want attention. Or we want to make ourselves seem like we're in the right. You know, if we can shift the blame. You know, like, we can kind of shade things, but we'll come to shading in a minute. But... Um, but when we just outright lie, there are, these are the most bald-faced and wicked forms of the sin. I'm going to fabricate something in order to get the person in trouble or to make myself look good. Maybe you struggle with that. I don't know. You just can't stand somebody so much that you're willing to make something up because you'd rather that be dealt with. Often we're not so bald-faced about our uh, bearing false witness. We are much more subtle in our approach. We tell the facts in such a way as to color someone in a bad light. How do we do that? Well, we leave out pertinent information, right? We say partial truths, half-truths. We spin the story. And um, Here's an example. Maybe we say something like this. You're at work and you call home to your spouse uh, from work and you say, my boss is such a jerk. He's making us stay late tonight. I can't, I'm not going to make it home in time for dinner or whatever. Spouse says, I can't believe him. He is such a taskmaster, such a workaholic. Later at a picnic with work, your spouse confronts the boss and says, Uh, what were you thinking, making them stay late and blah, blah, blah. And like, I can't believe you would do that. That's so rude, et cetera. And the boss looks at her and says, or him and says, I'm so sorry. I had asked the team a week before if anyone would be willing to stay late, knowing that it might be a burden on the family. You see, the worker probably didn't want to admit to have forgotten to talk to his spouse about him staying late. So what does he do? Do He throws the boss under the bus. Right? Bearing false witness. This is just one small example of the ways we color people's views of others in order to make ourselves look good. Friends, we're breaking this commandment. When we do this, sometimes we don't shade a story. We simply don't say anything. We're silent. We allow someone else's false witness to stand when, in fact, we know better. 
So somebody else says, oh, what a jerk, blah, 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 blah. He did X or she did Y. We could, stay, we could stand up and say, oh, actually, I think what they were doing was this. Or, I don't know, maybe that's not the best construction. Or, actually, that didn't happen. But instead, we just are silent. We let everyone around us think these things about this person. Friends, when we're silent, we are breaking this commandment. Our silence is complicit. Sometimes we impugn motives of people. Right? We impugn motives. We take what they've done or said and assume the worst. We paint the worst possible construction of that person. The logic goes something like this. Well, they did or said X. People only do or say X if they think Y. Therefore, they must be thinking Y. And here's an example. Mary sent me an email yesterday asking if she might help in cleaning up my house. Mary must think I'm a terrible at keeping the home. She's so judgmental. It's, it's not like her home is in perfect condition. Plus, I have to work and she's a, she's a stay at home. So who is she to pass judgment on me? I'm trying to juggle home life and work life and kids. She just sits around all the day. All of a sudden, you've built up this story in your head about this Mary and her motives. We impugn them. You said Mary is judgmental and self-righteous. And that's her motivation. What if Mary simply felt she had time to offer and that she understood the burdens that you were carrying and she just wanted to help you? You can put your own story in here, right? Like, I I, I could come up with dozens and dozens and dozens of this kind of thing that we do all the time. When we assume motives and don't act charitably in the way we view one another, we will bear false witness against each other. You see how easy it is? And we've just made it so much easier with social media, haven't we? We just made it like a thousand times easier to kind of read between the lines and to get at their motivations and to dehumanize the person and to bear false witness against them. I'm I'm going to uh, share a story of a church, my old church, a church that I love deeply. And uh, in 2016, uh, we had an election. It was a trying election season. And as a pastor... I had to engage with this uh, church because they were going, I don't know how to say it other than to say they they were attacking one another in the body via social media. No, they didn't have those conversations in person and and discuss them like reasonable adults. They got online and they started to flamethrow from their various computers in the luxury of their home. And I didn't necessarily know what was going on because I wasn't all that engaged in Facebook. But I would have these phone calls saying, Rob, you've got to do something. They're tearing each other apart. Ruining reputations between members of Christ's body. (laughs) 
I don't have to say more with regard to social media. You know, and there's, there's different ways we, we uh, bear false witness on social media. Sometimes we bear false witness uh, against ourselves. And, and in this sense, we paint pictures of ourselves that are these glorious things. And, and the realities are different, but we want to paint this sort of... We want people to see us in a certain light. We do that, don't we? Friends, when we don't protect and defend the reputations of others, we are in fact breaking this commandment. Whether it's online, whether it's in our homes, it's at work, when we gossip, when we entertain gossip, when we slander, when we entertain slander, when we shade the truth or are silent, when we assume the worst of motives of others, when we stop viewing each other as image bearers and in particular as brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, when we don't care about the reputation of every person here, or in the words of Lewis, when we don't consider these people next to you as immortals, we're breaking this commandment. Or in danger of it. Sometimes we, we defend ourselves. I'm just speaking the truth. Have you ever used that, those words? I'm just speaking truth. And, and, and I want to be careful here. Because I think you can hear what I'm saying. And you could say there's never a time to speak up. To confront something. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, There are times where publicly we need to stand up. I had to, in that situation at my old church, I had to publicly, both the pastor and I had to publicly rebuke the congregation as a whole, not any one individual, but as a whole, saying, how are we going to love one another in a very trying political season? Because that's what we're called to. So there are times when we have to speak truth. And sometimes it's harsh truth. When we're defending the gospel and saying, you know, the Lord be glorified, sometimes that means telling a false teacher, you're wrong publicly. I mean, there are times when we do that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is as we look around to one another and we see brothers and sisters in Christ, are we, are we champions of their reputation? There are so many ways in which we bear false witness. I I touched on just a few. I do think we've made it into a bit of an art form. But it's not beautiful art, is it? It tears people down. It breaks relationships. It breeds contempt and anger and malice and all sorts of evil. James describes the tongue as a raging fire. And it's not like a sort of a fire that just kind of goes wherever it will. It's more like a flamethrower, isn't it? It's like a directed fire at people. I'm going to twist the truth that you might be destroyed and that I might be made to look great. So how do we get out of this destruction, this, uh, this bondage, if you will? Well, again, the answer is Jesus. This is a final and brief conclusion that the truth sets us free. Jesus came and he didn't hesitate to speak truth. Sometimes he excoriated the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. 
You whitewashed tombs. Sometimes that's what's called for. But he did it because he had love for his heavenly father and love for his people. And he was there to save them from their sin. And he bore with sinners and tax collectors. He was the one who was reviled and slandered and he was falsely accused, right? False witness was born against him. It says in the text that at the you know, at the trial that the chief priests went out and sought false witnesses to witness against Jesus. His, his motives were impugned. His words were twisted. Pilate finally said the best thing that could have been said in the moment. What is truth? Truth was standing right in front of him. Truth stood before him, and he condemned it to death. But there in the death of Christ, the father of lies was defeated. And along with it, the judgment we deserve for all our false witness bearing that we have done. Christ took it upon himself. As God poured out his wrath, the wrath we deserved, and stood in judgment over him, he did it for us. He did it to set us free. He came and he proclaimed freedom. For captives. Here's the truth. I've come to die. That liars like you and like me might have life. Might be forgiven. So what does that mean for us? Let's, let's be truth. Tellers, Let's be those that uphold the reputations of one another. Let, let's consider each other as these very precious things. And when somebody does something that could easily be mocked or slandered or brought to shame, let's consider how to love them and to go towards them and to cover their shame. Be like, uh, not like um, Ham, but be like Shem, right? The, the, the sons of Noah, who when Noah was uncovered in his shame and nakedness, he walked back. Not observing it, not looking at it, but covered it up. Let's not go on to Facebook and say, hey, did you hear about so and so? Or let's not go on to Facebook and just like, let's like peer through all the windows of people's lives and find out where I can make fun of, draw out the shame of others. Isn't that what we do? Christ died for that. What a glorious hope that we have that the truth of Christ sets us free to love and uphold the integrity and reputation of those that are around us, our neighbors, and to speak with sincerity and honesty, honesty, truth in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Uh, we need your grace. We need your help. Uh, we need uh, to be reminded of the devastating effects of our failure to speak the truth and love to one another. We need to be reminded of the danger of the tongue. Um, but we also need to be reminded of your love for us in Christ. The way, the truth, and the life who came to set us free from this bondage. Be gracious to us, we ask. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.